Well, good morning. It's great to be with you guys today. Uh, Happy New Year. I think some of you I haven't seen yet this year, maybe. Uh, but it's, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, welcome to our family gathering. Uh, we like to say often, but we, we call this our family gathering because we believe the church is a family, that uh, the church isn't a building or a, a, a certain time of the week, but it's a people that have been brought into God's family. We're going to talk about that more today. And, uh, and, and so we're together as a family to encourage one another, to be equipped in the gospel, to be sent back out into the world uh, as his missionaries to, to see the world change so that, it, that earth itself looks more like heaven. And that was Jesus' prayer, um, that heaven would come on earth. And we get to be part of that activity, and we're, we're grateful to God to be able to do that together. Um, if you haven't been with us, we uh, started a series uh, called Upside Down Axioms. And uh, if you weren't with us, we're, what we're doing is we're looking at several of the teachings of Jesus, but we're, instead of kind of focusing on the ones that we usually focus on, we're, we're taking kind of a, a, a deep look at the ones that oftentimes seem most confusing or controversial to us. And uh, it's a little bit of an oxymoron because the word axiom means something that's universally accepted or self-evident, things that you just kind of know. And somebody says, uh, you know, they, they, they you know, give you a wisdom like, like love others like you, you want to be loved. You think, okay, that makes sense. Like those, and oftentimes all things that Jesus said make sense to us on the surface. They seem like wisdom to us. But there are many, many, many other things that Jesus said where we looked at those things and we go, huh? <laughs> we don't understand them or, or, or they're difficult to live out. And so what we're doing over 13 weeks is we're looking at the things that we often avoid or dismiss. Last week, when we started out with the series, we, we looked at the, the term spiritual violence, the, which uh, those are two terms that just don't go together. But Jesus says it's the spiritually violent, it's those that are kind of aggressive in their pursuit of God, that wrestle with him, that are actually closest to the kingdom of God and and the people that advance in the kingdom of God. Today what we're going to look at is a passage about prayer. And on the surface, prayer doesn't seem like something that's controversial or confusing in any way. When you say to somebody, what is prayer, people immediately have some kind of idea of what it looks like. And you may think it's hard to do it, which in reality it is, but it doesn't seem something that's upside down until you look at what Jesus has to say about it. Um, And so we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about prayer, and and I think we're going to find that it is actually backwards from the way that we often think of it. So we're going to be in Luke 11, uh, verses 5 to 13. The verses will be up here on the screen behind me as well. But Jesus says this. Jesus then said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So Jesus is asked by His disciples, teach us to pray, right? We don't know how. Rabbi, help us out here. And what we often think about in response to that question is, is the first part of Luke 11. What's the first part of Luke 11 that we're all incredibly familiar with? What's that? Yeah, the model prayer, what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and, and the rest. And we, we think about that as being Jesus' primary response to his di- disciples' question of how to pray. And it is. It, it gives us a, a map, so to speak, of of the kinds of aspects of prayer that we should be engaging in. But he doesn't stop with that. He goes on to tell them a story, and it's a very strange story, right? Incredibly strange. Because he, he says, okay, picture this. There's a man in bed, and it's midnight. Now, it's not like our midnight where, you know, we're, we're just kind of getting ready for bed, or we've only been in bed for an hour or two. But in a time when there was no electricity, people, it really was the middle of the night at that point. And so they would have been sound asleep. And more likely than not, the man who is being requested of lives in a one-room house, and he probably has one bed in that one-room house for his entire family. And so when he says, I'm in bed with my children, he really means it. Like, they're all in bed together, because that's how families slept And what's interesting is when the man comes to the door and knocks, he's not coming with an emergency. Do you notice that? He's like, I got this buddy in town, and he's a little hungry. Like, could you help me out here? I mean, it's the middle of the night, and he's asking for a loaf of bread. It it would have been so easy for him to say, can you just wait until morning? And the man in bed can't respond to the request without waking up the entire household. It's going to turn the whole house upside down in order for the man to respond to this very simple yet very um, non-emergent kind of of a request. And what Jesus says, though, is eventually this man does get what he asks for. He gets what he's after. Not because the man is his friend, but because of what? What was the word that was used? His boldness, his what? I love the way the NIV puts it. His shameless audacity. He's shameless. See, and this is why uh, this is upside down because Jesus is teaching us a way to think about prayer that you and I have probably never practiced. And the reason we don't is because we're taught, at least in prayer and in many other relationships, what we tell our kids constantly, be polite, be respectful. I heard you once, you don't need to keep repeating yourself. 
do it in the right way at the right time with the right motives and the right heart and the right language. And if all those things are right, then someone will respond in prayer. And Jesus throws all of that out the window and he says it's only because of the man's shameless audacity. Now, what is that? Actually, if you look at the Greek term, here's some, here's, here's some other ways you could put this. Rudeness. Impertinence. Brazenness. Being bothersome. Nagging. Jesus said, here's the model for how you should pray. Pray like this. Bother God. Disturb Him like the man in this story until you get your answer. Now, how many of you would say, yeah, that's, that's a perfect picture of my prayer life? No, nobody's hands are up. Why not? Why don't you pray this way? Why don't we pray this way? Now, sometimes my questions are rhetorical and other times you get to respond. This is one of those response kind of questions. Why don't we pray this way? Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we have to check our, our, uh, our good name at the door. Our independence at the door. Yeah. Yeah, we've been taught a different way of relating to people and to God, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, oftentimes we know that that's not what God is like, and yet we kind of succumb to what we've been culturally taught is appropriate in terms of our prayer. Yeah, one more. Two, two more. Yeah, which is making God in our own image, right? It's, it's fashioning Him in the likeness of how we think rather than saying God's ways are above my ways. He's not like me. And, and resting in the truth of that and just saying, well, I, do, I wouldn't want to be bothered in the middle of the night for a loaf of bread. So why should I bother Him? And not realizing what we actually... Who, who we're actually talking to. Yeah, did I see? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So oftentimes what we're told is if, if you're really full of faith, then you ask once and then you leave it there and you don't, you don't ask again, right? That's what it really means to be faithful. Now, there's a problem with that, right? Because one the man that Jesus is talking about here doesn't subscribe to that kind of, of a prayer life. Um, and two, actually, if you look at other places, they don't subscribe to that same prayer life too. So, for instance, look at Luke 18. Well, we, the parable of the persistent widow. Jesus tells another story and he says this. Just so we didn't, just so we didn't think, oh, it's a fluke. Like, it's just that one guy. No, he repeats it here and he says, for some time... The, the widow is asking a, a judge for justice. She's been wronged. She wants everything. She wants to be put right. She wants to be made whole. And so it says this, For some time he, the judge, refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, same word, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I love that. <laughs> She just wore him down. She like drip, drip. She's like Chinese water torture of prayer. She's just like, I'm going to keep at this until you give me what I'm after. 
And then Jesus goes, just so we don't miss the point, Jesus goes on and says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes, will he find faith on the earth? You hear what he's saying? Faith is not, I prayed it once, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that, I'm moving on to something else. If you, you know, want to answer that prayer, then go ahead, but I'm going to pray on these other things. That's not faith. Faith is actually coming to God and bothering Him again and again and again. And what Jesus is saying is, will I find that kind of faith in my people? Yeah, right. Yeah, the, he'll, he won't let us into his courtroom again, right? He'll get angry with us. Now, like when my kids ask me 20 times for something, I start to get angry. There again, when I place that kind of reaction that I have with my kids on God the Father, what am I doing? I'm remaking him in, in my image. I'm making him submit to my authority. I'm placing what I how I react as a dad, and how he will react to me as a dad. Rather than saying he is completely unlike me because he is completely without sin. It's sin that, 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 that makes my heart kind of curl in on itself and, and to become angry when my kids continue to ask for something. I'm not being a good father when that is my gut reaction to their persistence. And what we forget is that God is without sin. Jesus is saying, will I find faith in my people to continue? Will, I, will we be the kind of people that say, I will bother God. I will be shameless. I will be brazen. I will nag him day and night. Because that's what God asks of us. That's why it's so upside down. See, Jesus says again and again, prayer is like knocking, Right? What happens if you knock once? Are you going to think that somebody's really at the door or something fell down? You, you wouldn't answer a door if you heard one knock. The, the point of knocking is that you have to repeat it again and again. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And prayer is the same way. Now, I just want to qualify this just to say that Jesus isn't saying that God is like the stingy friend or the unjust judge. He's not saying that at all. Because he wasn't asked by his disciples, how does God respond to us in prayer? He's responding to the question, how should we pray? And the answer is relentlessly, aggressively, audaciously. Now, I think some of the, re- some of the things that stand in the way of us actually engaging in prayer this way is that we, we tend to think like, well, if God loves us and knows what we need, isn't this a lack of faith to pray? If God is holy and just, isn't this disrespectful of Him to pray this way? If it seems like we so often don't get what we want, isn't it pointless to keep praying this way? And Jesus' answer to all those questions is no. In fact, if we're not praying this way, it's because we've forgotten something. We've just forgotten something. 
something so central to who you are when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, something that is, is so rock-bottom, foundational to your identity, and you're not living in light of it. Now, here's the irony. We talk about this as a church all the time, and yet we still don't live it out. And that is that we are God's family. We're his kids. We're his adopted, beloved children. Because notice the metaphor kind of switches. In verses 5 to set to 10, it's the metaphor of a friend. But in verse 11 to the end, Jesus changes it and starts talking about a father and a son. And when he teaches us to pray, he doesn't say, start out your prayer this way, our friend who's in heaven, or our judge who's in heaven, but our father who's in heaven. And that word father changes the dynamic of prayer completely. And prayer makes no sense to us unless you consider God as your Father and unless you live in light of the fact that you're His beloved child. Because think of the way that children make requests. When a child makes a request of a parent, don't they at the same time, no contradiction between these two things, both trust their parent and yet relentlessly pester them at the same time. Right? Um, my, my middle son, he's addicted to applesauce in packets. Many of you know this because you've seen it happening in our house. Um, but there was one particular morning where I was getting frustrated at him asking. And uh, cause that's the first thing he asked for when we get downstairs. Can I have an applesauce, 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 applesauce? And this one day, he's just over and over again, can I have one, can I have one, can I have one? And I was doing some other things. And I got frustrated with him and I said, don't you understand that I know that you need an applesauce and that I'm going to give you one? And he goes, well, yeah. (laughs) There was no doubt in his mind that dad was going to give him an applesauce. He completely trusted that I was going to give it to him. So I was like bewildered at his response. I said, so why did you keep asking me? Because I wanted one. (laughs) Complete trust and completely pestering simultaneously at the same time. No contradiction between either of those things. Children pray this way. They relate this way. They, They come this way. And only when you see God as a loving father and yourself as a child are you going to pray in the same way. So let's talk about what those two things look like. Pray aggressively. That's the first part. Children pester their parents. And if you look at the story of God, many of the people of God along the way have been shocking in their ability to pester God with something. Did you know that? Some of the greatest towering people of faith that we Uh, know about throughout God's story were incredibly aggressive in their tone and their approach to God. Um, A great example of this is Abraham, right? The man of faith. I mean, he's, he's number one in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And how does he pray? There's a particular circumstance where God's about to wipe out these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham happens to have some family who lives there. And so he goes to God He doesn't qualify anything he asks for. He just goes, hey, listen, if there's like 
50 people there that are like good, upstanding people. Will you please spare the city? And God goes, okay, if there are 50, I'll do it. All right, one more thing. If there are like 40, will you do it then? All right, no, I'll, I'll spare them then. All right, like what about 30? How about 20? Oh, one more thing. How about 10? I mean, is he Steve Jobs? Like, it's just one more thing. Like, constant, like I, oh, there's one more thing. Yeah, right, like Columbo, yeah. Just one more. Just one more. How about one? And finally God says, okay, if there's one. What is he doing? Knock, knock, knock repeatedly. I mean, how audacious is Abraham to go before the Father again and again and again? Take Moses as an example. Exodus 33, God comes to Moses and he says, I've prepared a land for you. It's all set up. You guys are going to go and you're going to take hold of this land, but I'm not going to be with you. He goes, I'm not going to be with you because I know the hearts of these people and they're going to sin against me as we're on the way and I just can't, I won't be in the presence of sin and I'll end up wiping you all out. I mean, it's, logically that makes sense, right? If, you, if that were God's response to you, you'd go, okay, I don't want to be wiped out. <laughs> I don't want to see my family, you know, murdered in the desert because, because we, we didn't live as though we should. But Moses doesn't take that answer for face value. He goes, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, you promised to be with me. You said you would go with us. And I'm not going anywhere until you come with us. In fact, I'm not going anywhere until I can see your face, God. I am not moving without you. And he digs his heels in like a three-year-old and says, uh-uh. And God relents. And they have this moment where God reveals his glory. At least I can't show him his face, but he shows him the, tra- the train of his robe. And he says, I will be with you, and I'm going to set up a way for that to be able to happen. Now here, this is, this is the amazing thing, is Jesus goes, do you know that we can be even more audacious, even more aggressive in the way that you and I approach God? Do you know that? Do you believe that? It's not on the basis of the fact that you are somehow greater than Abraham or Moses, but it's on the basis that you're his child. That you have, a, you have the ability to access God in a way that even those men of faith did not have. In fact, when you come to know Christ, God became your Father and you were adopted into His family. You have unlimited access in ways that would be rude for a neighbor to come to God. You, because you're His child, can come to Him in the middle of the night and ask for a loaf of bread and God will hear your request. You can nag Him in ways that a neighbor or even a spouse or a towering man of faith couldn't because you're his child. For, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 1 reminds us of this, and we talk about this a lot. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, not, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Being a Christian is not coming to God and going, I'm going to do my best to do my duty. 
It's not coming to him and saying, I'll save my prayers, God, if you'll just bless me. It's not coming to him and saying, I promise to live a good life. That's not coming to God like a father. In fact, it's coming to God more like a boss. See, when God is your boss, you don't go to him like a child. You don't, you don't go to him constantly. You don't go to him with absolute certainty that he's heard. You don't come to him with little things and big things, regardless of what they are. But you don't go to God. And if, if you think of God as your boss rather than your father, what you will end up doing is you will only go to him when you feel like you've earned the right to be in his presence. When you somehow had a good quarter where you, your, your report card is in and you've gotten A's this, this month. Now, do we talk about this a lot as a family? The fact that God is our Father and we are His kids all the time, right? And so you're probably thinking like, I know God's my Father. We talk about that constantly. How could I forget that He's my Father? Here's a test, Okay. If you want to know if you relate to God as a father or if you relate to him as a boss, here's a couple of questions that might discern your heart. The first one is this. Do you tend to use more formal or sacred language with God than you do with somebody whom you're intimate with? Do you qualify everything with, do you cloak everything in very formal kind of sacred protocol in order to ask God for something? Do, like, do your use become these? Like, you, suddenly you start speaking in King James rather than in modern English. Or you, or, you, or you feel like you have to elongate the number of modifiers that you add to God's name. Lord God, King of kings and Lord of lords, majestic Father over everything. holy and just and... I mean, there is something good about us having a majesty for God and it's good to to, uh, spend time reveling in how glorious and great God is. But do you find the need to include all those things in order to sort of butter God up for for the request? What are you doing? You're basically going, hey, you're you're just a great boss. You know, like... The way you lead our division is just, it's incredible. I mean, the, this, the, you care for your employees and it's, it's amazing. Oh, by the way, can I have a raise? <laughs> How about this one? Do you qualify yourself or the things that you ask for before you ask them? Uh, Jen was mentioning that a second ago. If it's your will for this to happen and for that to happen and for this to happen and for that to happen, then would you? Or do you qualify it with words like just? Oh, Lord God, would you just? Would you just give me health? And God, would you just? And would you just? And would you just? And would you do? What are you doing? You may not realize what you're doing, but you're actually trying to minimize the request to kind of get it in, slip it in under his bar. I'm not good enough to ask for the bold, the big things, the outlandish things, the things that I should never ask for, but God's a good Father. He's going to give them to me anyway. And so I'm going to try to just minimize those things and make them seem smaller because I'm not really that good of a person. And if my bar's down here, so if I can just slide them under the door, 
How about this one? Do you, do you only pray when you have a good report card? When you've had a good quarter? When your earnings have been in and you've proven yourself to be a good employee? Those are the times when it's easy to rush into your boss's office, right? When you know you're in his good graces. But when you know you've screwed up royally and you've had a terrible month, a terrible year, a terrible career, do you feel the same freedom to rush into that office and to boldly put down your request before your boss? No. If you're praying like that, you're seeing him more as a boss too and not as a father. How about this one? Um, Do you think that somehow other people have greater access to God because of their good behavior or their position? As a pastor, I get a preview of this one all the time um, because people come up to me and go, hey, God likes you, so can you ask him for this? Pastor, you've got a direct line. You've got his cell phone number. I've only got his landline. He never answers that thing. (laughs) Mine goes right to voicemail, but he seems to pick up for you. Uh, Did you catch the fact that Jesus calls his own disciples evil? (laughs) Like Peter and John and James and all these people that end up leading the movement of the gospel throughout the world? And he says, you know, you were evil. You still know how to give good gifts. There's none who are righteous, no, not one. I don't stand before God because of my good record. I stand on the record of Christ. And so do you. And if you stand on any other record, then you're going to shrink back when your record isn't exemplary. But you don't have to do that. When you're in Christ, you have as much access as I do because you're a beloved, adopted child of God. And so please, pray like who you are. Because adoption isn't just saying, well, I've now become a good kid. Adoption is a complete change of status. That that God chose to bring you into His family though you were still sinning. And... And he wasn't surprised that you would continue to do so. And that doesn't change his decision over you. It's the decision of a heavenly father, which means now you enjoy unconditional acceptance and access before him like no one in history. See, because in Jesus Christ, you've been cleansed. You've been changed. In fact, it it was costly. Jesus died as your substitute. He he stood before God as a boss. Did you know that? He stood before Him clothed in your record and clothed in your sin. And that's why He was cast out of the presence of God. So that you could stand before God clothed in His record. And so now every time you approach the throne room of God, you don't do it with your merits. You do it with the merits of Christ. And there are only two ways to come before God. And you will will come before Him in one of these two ways every time you come. You will either come to Him 
based on your own record and you will say, I tried really hard, so hear my prayer. Or I've really messed up, so I can't and you won't hear my prayer. Or the other way is you come to God on the basis of his record, of Jesus' perfect record, and you say, be my father because I'll never be good enough. But you don't care that I'm good enough. You just want my heart. One comes to God as a boss and he says, listen to me because I've earned it. The other one comes to the Father and says, listen to me because Christ earned it. I mean, can you imagine the difference between these two prayer lives? On the one hand, when you see God as a boss, you come to him and you're constantly going to be filled with anxiety. You're going to be filled with formality. You're going to have coldness and distance from God. You're only going to pray when you feel desperate. And when God doesn't answer your prayers, you're going to distance yourself from him. But the prayers of a Christian, the prayers to a father, those are prayers that are filled with faith. Those are times of personal aspects, acceptance and, and intimacy and repetition. Where you go, I don't, I don't just want to ask once. I want to ask again and again and again. Because fathers love to hear their kids. Fathers love to know that their kids are listening. Fathers love to know that they're banking their whole existence on these promises. So knock. How many times? Until the door opens. That's what Jesus says. Now, here's the second aspect of it. We... we should, because we're children, pray aggressively. But we should also, because we're children, pray confidently. Just like my son who goes, yeah, I, I knew you were going to give it to me. It didn't stop me from asking, but I, I trusted. I was aggressive and I trusted at the same time. He had a confidence. And we will have a confidence too. Not, in, not confident in our request, but confident in our parent, in our father. Because here, here's the thing. Some of you are thinking, wait, Jesus just said, like, ask and it's going to be given to you. Knock, the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. But here's the thing. I, I've been asking for things and he's never come through. I've, I've knocked for some big things and the door wasn't open to me. And so I gave up. Keep reading. Because he goes on to say, which of you fathers, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? What's Jesus saying? What makes a father good is that a father knows what you need before you need it. And he knows when you need it and the timing that you need it. So, like, think about this, like what Jesus is saying from the other the, the flip side. What if your child comes to you and asks for a scorpion? Like, are you going to give him a scorpion? Some of you are like, I'm a dad. Scorpions are cool. Why not? Sure. <laughs> I can already see the smirks happening. Yep. <laughs> Most of us <laughs> would say no. Now, why would we say no? It's because fathers do what's in their 
best interest of their children. And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father, without the restriction of the fact that we are evil and limited in our sight. Because your Heavenly Father only gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. I'm going to say that again. Your Heavenly Father gives you only and always what you would have asked for if you knew absolutely everything that He knows. And the truth is, if, if we're not able to rest in that, in the confidence that our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally and that He knows what's best for us because His ways are above our ways, then we won't come to Him as a father. We'll come to him not, maybe we won't even come to Him as the boss, but we'll come to Him like a genie. Can you imagine if you... I've had a four-year-old son. I've had a couple of them. Um, if you were to give a four-year-old Aladdin's lamp and just said, you've got infinite wishes, like, just go for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. My whole house would be full. You, you wouldn't be able to move in my house because it would be like a... The, the world's largest ball pit of applesauce. <laughs> like, if, if you were to give someone with, without the, the knowledge of adulthood, without the experience of walking through this world for a few decades, the ability just to wish upon every wish and have their hearts desired every single moment, I mean, if, if you gave that kind of access to that kind of a child, I would like you'd have to run as far as you could get away because chaos is about to unfold, right? All hell is about to break loose because incredible power has now been placed into the hands of someone who cannot wield that power. And I I think Jesus would say it's the same thing in terms of prayer. We have no idea how powerful prayer is. No concept. It's so powerful, in fact, that that God has to preempt our, our ability to pray with His sovereignty as a dad to say, I will smooth things out and I will give things according to my plan because I have access to things that you don't have access to. That's how powerful prayer is. Because just as the the lamp in the hands of a child is destructive because they're self-centered and they're blind to the impact of their wishes, aren't those two things just as true for us? That oftentimes our our prayers are filled with self-centered kind of motivations and we have no idea if God were to give us every desire of our hearts what the long-term impact of those things would be? Now, here's the gracious part of our Heavenly Father. He doesn't tell us to stop being kids and to grow up. Right? That, that would be the way that I would think as a parent. Okay, we'll just stop asking for ridiculous things. No, he, he doesn't tell us to stop. He tells us, keep asking, and I will put into place the plans that you would have prayed if you prayed what I know. Ask, 
and trust simultaneously. And watch what I do. Because your heart's going to grow. And you're going you're gonna to be more dependent on me. But that means that sometimes, without realizing it, we're asking for scorpions. And God's withholding his hand from us because he's a good dad, not because he's stingy, not because he's unjust. Or maybe we're asking for something that's a good thing, but we're asking for it in a way or in a time that's going to lead us to to implications and ramifications that we have no idea over. And God goes, if I were to give that to you in this timing, it would end up harming you and it would end up harming our relationship and it would end up leading you towards independence from me rather than dependency on me. And I want to save you from those things. Will you trust me? See, prayer is not a lamp that you rub to get your wishes. Jesus says it's a door that you enter to get your Father. I said, I know that. I know I should trust. Here again, a couple questions just to test your heart. Number one, do you only ever go to God when you need something from Him? Or do you ever go to Him just to be in His presence? Prayer is as much to get our Father as to get things from Him. The Bible often talks about that as, as, as us going to seek His face rather than His hands. When we go to seek His hands, we're looking for a handout. When we go to seek His face, we want, we want His will. We want His presence. We want His grace. We want His love. See, nobody ever goes to a genie just to spend time with Him. Genies are really lonely people. I don't know if you knew that. No one ever, no employee ever goes to their boss's office just to curl up on his boss's lap. But a child does. A child does that all the time. All right, now here's another question. Do you ever become bitter or dismissive of God when He doesn't answer your prayers in the timing or in the way that you want? If so, then you're probably not in touch with your gospel identity as a child. You're not willing to go to him as a father. You're thinking of him as a genie, and he's not. You're thinking of him as a boss, and he's not. See, because people who rub lamps expect to get their wishes. Employees expect to understand the decisions of their employer, to know the reasons that they've made this decision or that decision. But a small child has no expectation to understand anything that his father does. He just knows without a doubt that his father loves him and cares for him. Two different approaches. Which one describes you? Do you pray aggressively? Do you pray confidently? Knowing that God is a good, good father. We sing about it. Do you live it? Do you believe it? Are they words that are coming from your lips or is it a deep desire and and resting of your heart? Children do both of those things instinctively. They expect their parents to take care of their needs. They bother their parents trustingly. They expect them to love them unconditionally. Here's the issue. We grow up. All of us at one time, 
either because we're taught by our biological family or the world rams it down our throats. We lose that instinct over time and we, we stop being children. And we unlearn those instincts that we were born with. Now here's what it means to be a Christian. Maybe, maybe you've never thought of it this way. To be a Christian means that we get back our childhood. When the prophet says, I will return to you the, the years that the locusts have eaten away. I think this is one aspect that we don't often think about. You get your childhood back. Some of you say, I didn't have a childhood. I had to grow up at the age of four. I had to take care of my siblings. I had to, I had to, I, I had to be responsible. I understand all that, and so does God. But he wants to give you those years back so that you can now rest in him as a dependent child and just say, Abba, Father, you know what I need, but I'm going to ask you anyway. There are only two paths. You're going to leave here, and you're going to live out one of these two ways. You're either going to leave here and you're going to get in touch with your childlike dependency on God and you're going to practice it in prayer and the result of that will be that you will grow in your aggressiveness and your confidence with Him. That could be the reality for you and I pray that it is by the power of the Spirit that He would come and He would lead you in that way. But there is another way and I'm, I'm fearful that you will take this way that you'll allow those childlike instincts to die and along with it your dependency on Him. And the result will be that instead of being aggressive in prayer with God, you'll be aggressive towards God. Instead of growing in confidence of Him, you'll lose that confidence that He loves you and wants to change you and wants to change those around you. And, and, And the life that you will live as a result of that will be both prayerless and powerless. Family, I just, God does not want that path for us. He's not a boss to be appeased. He's not a genie to be rubbed. He's a father to be in relationship. Knock. Seek Him. Ask. One of the best examples of this in Scripture is a man named Epaphras. He only gets mentioned three times. But man, what a, what a testimony. If, if, if my name was mentioned three times in God's story, I would want one of them to be this. Colossians 4, verses 12 and 13, Paul is communicating to the church in Colossae, and he says, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you. I think, like, Epaphras is thousands of miles away from the people that he cares about. How in the world is he working on their behalf? He's praying. He's wrestling aggressively, trustingly. And if you look back in in chapter 1 of Colossians, you'll see that the church is standing. In fact, their faith is known throughout the world. And so something's happening as a result of Epaphras' work. And the same thing is going to be true of us, family. How else are you going to see change in your heart? 
How else are you going to see change in the people around you? How else are you going to see your neighborhood change? Are we going to see South Jersey be changed by the, 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 the gospel? We pray. Lord, send your spirit. Make this place look like heaven. Only you can do it. So how do we grow in this? I just want to mention this as we close. Because um, a lot of you said, are probably thinking, I've tried to pray, and I go through like short spurts of being able to do it, and then I kind of tail off, <clears throat> and I just I can't seem to gain the consistency to do it. Maybe you've been fueled, you, maybe you haven't been fueled by a reality that you're his child. Maybe that's what needs to change, is a heart motivation and a and a rooting yourself in the identity of God being your father. That may be it. For many of us, I think, and for me included, one of the things is that I, I've I've lacked the tools that have been helpful for me to to grow in my identity. Tools can be helpful things. They can hinder you too, but they can also be really helpful. And one of the tools that I've tried to use again and again and again has never been helpful for me is to keep a prayer journal. Because what ends up happening is I start out really good and I've got a journal and I start writing down those prayers and then I flip the page and then I've got so many other thoughts that come in, things that I'm planning and thinking about and scripture that I'm reading, all this stuff, and then it ends up, it becomes a journal for everything under the sun. And then I stop, and I put it down, and I stop using it, or I continue to use it. I'm like, "What did I pray? I, when did I pray it?" And I go back, "Oh yeah, I prayed that." Like, well, what happened with that? I don't know. I never prayed for it again. Okay. And I just I lose the trail, and I end up not being aggressive in my prayers. I, I end up being haphazard in them. Um, and so uh, a while back, I went to a. a prayer conference by a man named Paul Miller who wrote my favorite book on prayer. It's called A Praying Life. If you haven't read it, please figure out the time to do it. Listen to it on Audible. Pick up the book. If you want to borrow it from me, uh, you can have my copy. Um, but what it, he ends the, the book and he talks about tools. And one of the tools that, that he's implemented for decade after decade is not to keep a prayer journal, but to keep prayer cards. And uh, so he has different cards for different people in his life, for his family members, for his church family, for people that he's praying for outside of the church, for kind of big things and small things. And he has just one card for each kind of topic or person, areas that he wants to grow in his own heart. And so I've just started to adopt this practice of having these prayer cards. Um, And and the, the, the hard thing, but the great thing about it is that you have to keep praying like about the same things. And you have to keep asking God for revelation on how to pray. And you don't lose track of those things because every once in a while, that same prayer card comes to the surface and you end up praying for that again. Um, and so I've, I'm starting to develop a deck that I pray through. Some I pray through on a daily basis like my family. Some are kind of a weekly basis. I don't spend a long period of time on each one, but I write down the things that I feel like God's calling me to pray, and I pray them. Um, I'll show you one of them. This is my prayer card for the not yet. And those are people in my life that are not yet followers of Jesus, but I 
and praying that they would become so. And as I prayed for each of those people, I, I wrote down the month and the, and the year uh, that I began praying for them. I won't say their names out loud, but I just say, as I prayed for each one of them, God brought kind of a, a specific verse that I think he wants me to pray over that person because we should be praying his word. So I've, for, for one of them, just would you remove a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh? She's just resistant to you and, and she's cold to you and she... She's hard, and, but God, you, only you can change the heart, and you can replace a heart. God, with my other friend, would you allow him to seek your face? He's seeking after so many things in so many places, and he doesn't know where to find you. But you say you will be found, and so God, I'm, I'm standing on that. God, help him to find you and, and make yourself known to him. For other friends, God, they're just so busy all the time. They're just constantly on the run and they can never rest. God, would you, would you teach them that they don't need to find rest in what they do? They don't need to find rest in what their children accomplish. They can only find it in you. And as soon as they turn to you, God, they can have it. So I've been praying. Now, here's a couple things I'm noticing. I'm just going to end with this. Is that as I pray, here's what I'm... This is what's kind of washing over my mind, that I'm not just holding on to the corners of a card as I'm praying, but I imagine myself holding on to the corners of Jesus' garment. Now, I've, one of the things I loved about um, Paul Miller when he shared uh, some of his cards is that the corners of them were a mess because they, they had the oil from his fingers deeply sunk into the fabric of that card. And his fingerprints were all over them, and they had become tattered and worn over the years. And I just pictured him holding onto that card so tightly for some of those things and going, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I would love for that to be a testimony of my prayer life also, and yours. Um, But as I do that, here's what I'm noticing is that my heart and my actions are starting to grow for the people that I'm praying for. I, I, I see my, my, my life and my, the way that I react to certain people changing as I bring them before the Father. And here's the other cool thing, is that every card becomes like this mini snapshot of God's activity in that person's life. And as I pray for them, I've watched even just at the beginning that I, I can see kind of the arc of what God's up to. He's given me little little vignettes of, of, of the story that he's painting in a person's life. And the more I see and have access to that, the more I want to find out what's next in the story. Your Heavenly Father is writing a story, and only the audacious get a chance to see it. You're his adopted child. Will you pray like a child? Will you be aggressive and confident at the same time? Let's pray and ask that you would be. Father, we do thank you that we have this incredible access to you, far greater than we could imagine. Let us not spoil it. 
Let us not take it for granted, Lord. But by your Holy Spirit, would you fan into flames in us a desire to be aggressive with you. You ask us to. You tell us we can be. Let us take you at your word. And at the same time, God, help us to grow in our confidence of you. That you hold in your hand the keys to everything good. We, sh- we, ca- we don't need to use prayer, God, as a way to wrestle away from you your ability to control the universe. But we, we can use prayer as a way to rest in and have confidence over what you're going to do. I pray, God, that things would change this week for us as a result of being a child and that Jesus would get the glory. Amen.